Good morning. Good to see you on this fine morning. Man, it, spring is coming, and that's so good. There is a man I want to introduce to you in heaven one day. His name is Dr. Howard H. Chip Chase. He, in his ministry life of almost 55 years, preached through the book of Revelation about 120 times. And um, he has 67 sermons on the book of Revelation. I know him well because he's my grandfather. And um, a number of years ago, he had been asked over and over and over again to put his sermons together in book form. And I was able to do that and help him. And I should say book form, mimeograph form, all right? Punched all these holes, five volumes, 67 sermons that he preached in his ministry lifetime. To say the least, I grew up on the book of Revelation, prophecy. One thing that was very clear was that Grandpa loved Jesus with all his heart. And he kept the main thing the main thing as he studied and studied and continued to study the book of Revelation. I had his notes around me this week, along with about six or seven other commentaries. I do it the old school way. I don't have multiple screens, all right? I have two screens, and I do check stuff, but I have the books. And it's amazing to me that every interpreter of Scripture disagree in some format in this book. These are good men. And one is my grandfather. And they're not all line up everywhere in this good book. And that's just a reminder to all of us who are teaching the book of Revelation these few weeks that we don't get lost in all those multiple understandings and there's some clarity there, but we keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus Christ is coming back again. He is going to gather his people one last time for all eternity, and he's going to bring justice to the lost. If you're without Christ, all hell will break loose. You will be there for eternity. The the pictures are stark and graphic and horrific. But the joy of the Lord is seen in his people what Christ is going to do as he gathers the church of Jesus Christ to himself. The sweat of the challenge of studying is an interpretation and working through what all these things mean. And we are given some glimpses of what some of the graphics mean in the visions. Beautiful thing, horrific stuff, sad things, but yet in the end, joyful things because God is going to redeem his people. And we can say amen to that. At every age, at every, every time we meet, God is going to bring things to a conclusion. So with that in mind, I want us to look at Revelation 1-3 as we begin, just to remember how this book starts. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it. That's all of us. And take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. That sets this book in perfect relief to understand exactly what is taking place. 
And this morning, I want you to know I'm using the NIV just for the clarity of some of these imagery I, I really like. So you'll see that on the screen. Blessed are, is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart that is written in it because the time is near. There is a blessing in this. And we need to look at it as that, as a blessing to read and to pursue it. And remember again, this book is a book of revelation. It is a book of, of vision. So things will be in vision that will not translate to reality. We've got to get a picture of the vision and what that means in our life, in our future. So Revelation 10 and 11 is our text. The mighty angel, the little scroll, the two witnesses, and the seventh trumpet. I think my grandfather would say that's four messages right there. All right. In chapter 8 and 9, we see the first six trumpets. We have, I believe, an interval here. And then chapter 11, the seventh trumpet sounds. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. And his face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. And he was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. And he planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said. And do not... Write it down. You look at verse 1 again. I saw another mighty angel, another of, of the same kind. This is an angel, not Jesus, although there's a very similar descriptions of this angel with Jesus in Revelation 4. But I believe it's going to be Jesus. They would call, call this angel the Lamb of God or, or Jesus himself. But it's very similar and it reflects a very high-ranking angel in heaven. And his extreme authority is seen. And the rainbow is a reminder of God's promises to protect his people. His legs of fire, his his pillars of fire on the land and the sea depict just extreme authority again over all the world. And the little scroll, I wonder what scroll that is. Here's where some interpreters differ I believe it to be that scroll that the Lamb of God opened, and now it is open in his hand, and this angel is bringing the open scroll. And the angel roars, and the voices of seven thunders speak. And here's what's interesting. And John is asked to seal up what those thunders are saying. And it's again astounding to me. Here is something unveiled in Revelation that truly is not unveiled. We don't know what those seven thunders are saying. And there's no point of trying to figure that out. There's something still unrevealed that we don't know. That that God asked John to seal it up. Stuff in this book still unfolding. Imagine what God is doing and what he has planned even beyond what we can see in this book. The angel then speaks. Look at verse 5. 
Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, there will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants servants in the prophets. Notice he begin here in this text in chapter 10, there's no more delay, there's an end coming. A seventh trumpet will sound, there is a a time relationship here and that one event will follow another. We do have different perspectives and different view on some of these visions, but then there's also, I believe, a linear understanding of the events beginning to unfold in this book. The difference is that we don't know exactly when, but we see some some events unfolding in this book. And verse 7 is key. The mystery of God will be accomplished. What does that mean? We know mystery in Scripture is a divine secret previously hidden but now is revealed. And we look at the expanse of the Old and New Testament, we understand that to be this. It is the final consummation of all the plan of God in our salvation and eternal justice for all the humanity. It is the completion of all that God has accomplished and is accomplished and will accomplish in his plan of salvation for his creation. It's the establishment, the inauguration of God's kingdom on earth. We see this in Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Jeremiah and Paul speaking of in Ephesians 3 and Romans 16. The mystery in all of God's plan is that you and I, Gentiles, are grafted into the holy tree. The beauty of the promises of God all are fulfilled in his church That's why the Jews rejected Jesus. They couldn't understand his love and his grace to people who were not Jews. The whole completion of his plan is going to be announced in its finality with trumpet number seven. I want us to stop here just a minute and and look at a truth that we can apply. Our salvation is not yet complete We are not home yet. The cross, the resurrection, our life to live is going to be consummated in this fulfillment. We're going to see him face to face. Sin no more. Resurrected body. Fellowship with our creator for all eternity. We don't have that right now. We see through a glass darkly, Paul says, of what is to come. And this is an image of the fact it will be done and we will be with him forever and ever and ever. The joy of what John must beginning to see is unveiling is the end is coming to a conclusion. God's plan and promises are true. What he has planned, he will complete. I love what Paul said in Philippians 1. He says, being confident of this, 
that he who began a good work in you, so right now, he began it in Jesus, will carry it to what? Completion. Until the day of Christ. This is that day that John's talking about. He will carry us through. He will pick us up. He will set us down. He will go before us and in us and around us. I will complete what I've started in you through Jesus Christ. There will be a completion. Stay true. Stay faithful. I've got you. Is what Paul is saying. Now look at verse 8. This really gets... Pretty fascinating. It was kind of neat. Abby was doing the screen. She said, I'm reading through this text. And it said, he eats a scroll. He eats a scroll. Look at this. Verse 8. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me once more. He said, go take the scroll that lies, again, that lies open now in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. So I took the little scroll from the angel's hand, and, and I ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told you must prophesy again about many peoples and nations and languages and kings I think it's clear as we look at this and the symbolism of this is the power and the potency and the nourishment of the word of God to us in any age, in any time. It's just a word picture that our God wants John to see and to us to read in and as we are doing in this century in church history that the word of God is nourishing It is sweet as honey from the honeycomb, Psalm 19. Yet this one will have a a bitter finish. I think of Ezekiel in chapter 2 in his book. In chapter 3, he was commanded to eat the scroll. It it turns sweet to bitter because God's dealing with wayward Israel. In Jeremiah, he said, your words came and I ate them. Just beautiful Graphic word pictures of the importance of the word of God. Eating reflects a faithful obedience to the message in the scroll. All that has been revealed and yet to be revealed now without delay. And the sweetness of the words of promise and of grace and the love of God turned sour with the wrath of God that he knows will be meted out in this vision. It is really another way to say the whole counsel of God. The grace, the joy, the judgment, the salvation, all together in the word of God. And John begins to, he literally tastes the suffering to come. Another truth to apply to our lives is this. God's word nourishes our soul in the midst of suffering. Digest it. Believe it. Let his perspective overwhelm your opinions. 
Think about how much we need to see all of what's taking place in our world today through the lenses of God's word. The joy of our salvation, the challenges in our culture and our world, and knowing that evil will get worse and worse, not better. Paul says that in 2 Timothy. It will continue to go. How do we live in this world and not lose heart and not lose faith? It is because of the perspective of God's word. We should nourish and eat this word every single day. And I love that language. As we get up and have coffee and a scone or whatever, or bacon and eggs are my favorite, followed with grits on runny eggs, all that kind of stuff. We do that because we enjoy it and we are nourished by it. And the word picture is the same for the word of God. If you feel like you're lost and lightheaded and have no energy spiritually, how's your Bible time? How's your time in the word? Every day, every day, we are to be in his word And John, in this example, in this vision, gives us an understanding of what it means to nourish the whole counsel of God. And then verse 11, he is to prophesy again about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. This is, in other words, a world-impacting time. It is not a limited vision, but a grand expanse to all the world. This is God's world. He's going to redeem his people. He's going to redeem his earth. And he's even going to create a new one and a new one. Can you imagine what the new one's going to look like? But he comes to redeem his people. He comes to all peoples. And so is his justice. No one is left out. Look at 11. I was given a reed then like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with his worshipers. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure because it's been given to the Gentiles. And they were trampled on the holy city for 42 months. The measuring rod signifies God's ownership of his temple. Will there be a temple restored in Jerusalem? It appears to be through some prophecies. We don't know that for sure. But in this vision, he was given of of the temple and the holiest of holies and the Gentiles surrounding his presence, a reflection of his presence, and they're trampling on his word in a city outside his presence for 42 months. Again, we see that in Daniel 9.27 and 7.14 is an allusion to the great tribulation. A time that's coming that will usher in what we hear as and known as the Antichrist. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Verse 3. If anyone... Excuse me. I'm having trouble reading my my Bible. I got to get better glasses. All right. And I will appoint my two witnesses. And they will prophesy for 1260 days. That's that 42 months. And they will be clothed in sackcloth. And they are the two olive trees and two lampstands. And they stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. And this is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. 
And they have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. What is their mission? Is to prophesy about the coming judgment and the coming return of Christ. It is a time of revival. Two witnesses represent an understanding that they are coming as witnesses of God and his plan. That this is going to take place. And they have incredible powers. The lampstand and the, it just refers to revival coming. That this is going to be a time of unprecedented preaching and revival and judgment by God's two witnesses. Who are the witnesses? Some say Moses and Elijah. Why is that? Because it's very similar. Moses turned water into blood. Elijah stopped the rain and he called down fire from heaven. But I think, again, we need to leave it as two witnesses sent by God. We don't know for sure. But we do know they come from the throne of heaven to witness of what is to come. Look at verse 7. Now when they had finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. And their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city. What, what city is this? Which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Very dark image of Jerusalem and their paganism, even in that day. For three and a half days, some from every people and tribe and language and nation will gaze at their, on their bodies and refuse them burial. And the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts. Because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. The mention of the beast is the first mention of 36 times to follow from this chapter to the end of the book. This, I believe, is a picture of the Antichrist mentioned in chapter 13. Satanic in his power. And they, he kills these two witnesses, not burying the dead, dishonors them. And the whole world looks at these two bodies lying in the streets of Jerusalem, decaying before them, and they are parting. They're sending gifts to each other because these two righteous men have been killed by a greater power. We understand now how the whole world can see it, can't we? With our technology today. I can see images of Ukraine on my phone. Every eye will see this party. And they are saying what? God is dead. Evil has won. The message of these two witnesses, look at them dying and decaying in the streets. The battle had waged for righteousness and truth. These were killed and they were lying decaying. Look at verse 11. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. 
You have, you have images of the walking dead, okay? They are in full view of all the world and these decaying bodies in the heat of a Palestinian summer rise up with breath. And they stood on their feet and notice what happened. Terror struck those who saw them. And then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies all of a sudden were quiet. They looked on, slack-jawed. That's my interpretation. We need to understand this truth because this is our greatest fear. Death and evil does not win. Death does not mean an end. Death does not stop truth or what God's going to do. And the greatest fear that we have is dying. But in God's eyes, that, that is the greatest joy, is to bring us home to himself, to hear those words, come up here, come up to heaven, come into the presence of your creator. I am victorious. Evil does not win. How then shall we live with this truth? I think you know this. We need to live boldly without earthly fear. Death cannot keep us. We should not fear what man can do to our bodies, but fear him who can put our soul where he chooses, all based on what his son has done for us on the cross. We should live with a joyful abandonment. I'm not saying reckless and just saying bring it on, but a sense that we are followers of Jesus. And in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, there should be an extreme soul-centered trust that no matter what happens, God wins. If you ever read the story of Bonhoeffer and his walk to the hangman's noose and the joy that he felt, and even those who were around him were touched by the goodness of God in his spirit. That's what we're talking about. The joy of the Lord is our strength come hell or high water. We will be followers of Jesus. Verse 13. Then at that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. And 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified. And they gave glory to the God of heaven. Was there, there was salvation there? We don't know. It just seemed that they gave glory to the God of heaven, finally to be in the sea. Who really truly is on the throne? And the second woe has passed. Now the third woe, the third denouncement, the third sadness must come. 
in the seventh trumpet. And I want us to pause here just for a minute to understand something about the events and about timing that we struggle with as we interpret the book of Revelation. These ongoing understandings of what's taking place, and it seems like there's some interludes in here. What is God doing? What about just getting it over with and calling us home? Man, I want to go to heaven. Here's the truth I think we need to understand. Be patient with God's plan. He is harvesting souls. 2 Peter 3, write this down, 8 through 10. In the context in 2 Peter about what the day of the Lord is in the second coming. He says, Don't, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like what? A thousand years in his mind. And a thousand years to God are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. And we would say that, right? You're slow at this. Pick up the pace. Instead, notice his words. He is patient with you. Not wanting, what? Anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is delaying. And delaying in his time frame and his vision and his understanding of his plan. And why? Because he's still harvesting souls. And when then the last harvest is gathered in, then we'll see the end has come. So be patient. Live in that truth. God is at work in your life, in your family's life, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your works. Workplace, He is working to bring more souls to himself. And he wants you to be a part of that. We call it everyday missionary here. Our responsibility in the harvest. Then the conclusion, verse 15. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices. Now just not one, but loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. The trumpet sounds, the final judgments are coming up, the seven bowls all the way through 16. The second coming of Christ is ahead. The kingdom of the world has become his kingdom. He will rule over all. And the 24 elders who were seated on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. Who are the 24? I'm just going to suggest some numbers. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles. In the New Jerusalem, the 12 tribes' names are on the 12 gates of the New Jerusalem. The 12 apostles' names are on the 12 cornerstones. 12 and 12 is? That's just what I'm trying to see and understand I love the completeness of God's plan from Israel to the church. One, 24 together worshiping and they fall down on their face and notice what they say. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was because you have taken your great power and you have begun to reign and begun to reign is what's coming up. And the nations were angry. 
and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who are destroying the earth. The trumpet announced that this is coming to a conclusion. Judgment day is coming. Reward day is coming for the followers of Jesus. And we'll see that as we get into 19 and 20 and 21. And then notice the anticipation in verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was open and within his temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant. Indiana Jones, there it is. The very throne room of God, a depiction of the very presence of God and his covenant with his people and his grace and his judgment and his love all seen from the, from the throne room of heaven. And the lightning and the peals of thunder and the earthquake and the hailstorm are going to inaugurate this grand understanding of the seventh trumpet and what is to come towards the end. I think it's important to note that heaven is the source of God's love and grace and holiness and judgment and vengeance because he loves and he's holy and he's gracious. All of that from the very person of God. We can't separate God out into his attributes and have them go against each other. Because he is holy, he deals with sin. Because we are unrighteous, he gives us Jesus, the righteous one, by his love and by his grace from the very throne room of heaven itself. The last, last truth I want us to land on, I want us to take this very personally. The wrath and the reign of Christ is coming. Will you worship Or will you weep? Will you be part of the worshiping congregation? Or will you cry out in pain and judgment because you have not been found with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which comes by faith? Just become, become, you come here every Sunday and you go to class and you partake of communion. My dear friends, it does not make you a believer. Suffering will reveal that. Your priorities will reflect that. When he comes... Will we be part of that beautiful congregation of worship? I long for that for you. You truly understand and know how much Jesus Christ loves you and gave his life for you. And knowing that future that we have and the lost have, we should proclaim Jesus every moment, every day, every day missionaries we should be. Because we know the end of the story. And we do not curse the darkness, but say, 
in Christ's name that he is the light of the world. Back to my grandfather and his sermons. In each volume he wrote an introduction that included and induced, uh, included the spirit I wanted to portray this morning. And I quote, he said, now this is after 67 sermons, 50 years of ministry. He said, I'm still a student of this book. Amen and amen. We could do this again in a year and we'll learn more stuff. All right. And then he said this, I am not a gifted preacher, nor a writer of any style, but simply a sinner saved by grace. That is how we are to view this, to understand that all that God has planned for us is only because we receive his love and his forgiveness by grace, respond in faith, and year by year, century by century, the time is getting nearer and nearer and nearer. Do you love your God of salvation? Do you see his goodness and his grace in the midst of the judgments that are coming? Love your lost friends. Love your lost family. Help them to see Jesus. And every Sunday morning, we do that together. Do you realize that? We celebrate his death until, remember scripture says, until he comes. Lest we forget what his body and blood means to us. Have you come to the cross? Have you received his death as a payment for your sins. And if you have, it's a joy. It's looking ahead to the second coming. It's looking ahead to his return. I do. Here is your body broken for me. Here is your blood shed for me for the remission of my sins. I can't wait to see you, Lord. I love you. Thank you for dying for me. It's an act of worship we do every Sunday. Participate as a follower of Jesus. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for your word and the challenges of it and the the language and the images we see, but the, the joy of knowing that you will complete your plan, that your promises are, are true and that you're coming again. In the meantime, you call us to be witnesses of you. Thank you for saving us by your grace. May we live in that in light of your return. We thank you for the joy of this day and this congregation gathered in your name. And just bless us as we remember what you've done for us. Every time we meet to celebrate and worship You, who came and gave your life for us. We thank you in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord.